In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This coronavirus thing is really starting to hang out, isn't it? I, I even heard a story about Ole and Lena up there at New Ulm, Minnesota. And uh, Sven says to Ole, says, What do you think about this social distancing, Ole? Ole says, I don't see anything different. Lena's been social distancing from me for 10 years. But it is hard when you can't get together to be in communion when you have to be six feet apart. But we're doing the best that we can. I hope all you Lutherans are safe out there and hunkered down. We need you. But one of the things that's happened with the coronavirus for me is that I have watched some daytime television, which is unusual, and some of the game shows like Family Feud and Jeopardy. So I was thinking to myself, maybe we should have a little um, Jerusalem Jeopardy. So let me be your host this week instead of Alex Trebek. We're going to have Jerusalem Jeopardy, and the topic is famous traitors in history. Famous traitors for 300. What was the name of the man who assassinated Julius Caesar in 44 AD? No? It was Marcus Junius Brutus. Remember? Et tu Brute? You tu Brutus? Okay. Famous traitors for 500. What was the name of the man during the American Revolutionary War who first was a general on the American side and then switched over and became a general for the British? Benedict Arnold. Very good. And now, famous traitors for a thousand. In 33 AD, who was the man who betrayed Jesus of Nazareth with a kiss? Judas Iscariot. That's right. History has reserved its harshest judgment for traitors. There's something that is so duplicitous, so slimy about traitors and betrayers that they get the worst of history. Judas is a name that you don't hear much anymore. For example, I've never had a kid in confirmation class named Judas, nor have I had one named Benedict or Brutus for that matter. Because nobody likes to think about that. It, to, to betray a friend or to switch sides and act like you're one thing and really be something else. Judas was one of those guys. He is the poster child of traitors. In fact, at some slaughterhouses, they even have a goat that leads the sheep in to slaughter, and he's called a Judas goat. Judas was a guy who was greedy. Judas loved money. And he made sure that there was money in the common purse because he ran the common purse. He was the treasurer for the disciples, so to speak. And he always was watching that people, you know, didn't spend money where they shouldn't. Like, don't let that woman buy that expensive perfume and anoint Jesus' feet. Why, she could have sold that and given the money so we could give it to the poor. <laughs> right, like as if Judas was going to give it to the poor. He just wanted more money because it's a lot easier to embezzle when there's more money than when, when there's less money. So Judas then finally goes to the high priest and the religious authorities, and he said, what would you give me to betray Jesus? And they said, 30 pieces of silver. All right, he took it. And then on that Thursday night, after they had the uh, Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, and the words of institution and all of that, then they went out and Jesus was arrested. Judas 
gave a kiss to him to show he was the one they were supposed to pick up, and he betrayed Jesus. After this, Judas went back and tried to give the money back. And he said to the chief priest, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And the chief priest said, what's that to us? We don't care. We got our man. Judas knew that he had done wrong. He did repent. And he felt bad. He took the money back, but they wouldn't take it. And there are a lot of biblical scholars who believe that what Judas was really trying to do was that he was double-dipping in a way. He was going to get more money, 30 pieces of silver, and he loved money, and he was greedy, but that he also maybe felt that he could, at the same time, kind of push Jesus out of the corner a little bit and make him do what everybody expected the Messiah to do, and that's to come out of his corner swinging, punch Rome in the nose, and get Israel free of the Roman Empire. But Jesus didn't do that. He just went away meekly like a lamb led to the slaughter, which is exactly what he was. The Lamb of God led to the slaughter. And then Judas knew that that didn't work. He tried to take the money back, but it was too late. He repented. He turned around. That's what repent means. But he turned the wrong way. He turned to the chief priests and the religious leaders. If he had turned the other way and gone to the disciples and the followers of Christ, he would have been forgiven, but he didn't. He turned the wrong way. Jesus had told Judas that he was going to betray him. Jesus had told all the disciples that they were going to desert him. He said, when the shepherd is struck down, the sheep will scatter. And Peter, of course, jumped up and said, oh, well, I'll never do that. I, I would never betray you. Right, Peter. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Remember how the cock crowed twice and Peter had already denied him three times. The disciples scattered, just like Jesus said. They were all deserters of him. And we can cluck our tongues and we can shake our heads at these traitorous, deserting disciples and say, oh, I, don't, I can't believe those guys. We could do that, but it would be real phony because we are deserters too. We are deserters of the Lord at times when he needs us. All of us have been because we are sinners. And Jesus pointed out that he was pouring his blood out for sinners, for people like that. We have deserted Jesus, maybe big ways, maybe little ways. When it's time to stand up, stand up for Jesus, we're kind of crouching down in the corner. When it's time to take care of the neighbor, we're busy asking, now, who is the neighbor and just how far out does this neighbor thing go? When there are issues of social injustice, if it doesn't directly concern us, we don't say anything. When we are called to be the light of the world, we're busy trying to blend in with the rest of our culture. That's who we are. As Martin Luther said, we are all rebels against God. And Jesus said, deserters. And that's who we are. And it's very difficult to forgive ourselves when we have been deserters. It was impossible for Judas. He went and hanged himself. He was so uh, dismayed at his betrayal. Peter couldn't get over it for a long time that he had deserted the Lord. It's hard for us, too. It's hard to believe the good news that Jesus' blood was poured out for sinners, for deserters like us. I read a quote from uh, Dr. Menninger, the famous Menninger Clinic in Kansas, mental health facility, and he said this, 
Quote, I think that if people could really believe that they are forgiven, the mental health facilities would empty out. Unquote. That it is a lack of assurance in our forgiveness that plagues people. There is a hymn, Blessed Assurance, and we need to remember that. We have the assurance that even deserters like us can be forgiven. Deserters like Peter and even like Judas can be forgiven and are forgiven. People had different notions of what the Messiah should be. Well, maybe many like Judas decided Jesus should be the military strong man and, and uh, you know, lead the fight against Rome. Others felt he should be the peripatetic lunch wagon and give him, feed 5,000 whenever they needed it. Others felt he should be the itinerant healer and cure all of their illnesses and diseases. We all have our expectations of the Lord. But this is our expectation. Our expectation is that Jesus is the one who forgives deserters. And that's us. Amen. Now may the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.